Tiffany Sessions was a successful, cute, and popular student at the University of Florida in 1989. She went out on one of her regular walks one Thursday afternoon and never returned. It would take police over 30 years to solve this case, despite considerable resources Tiffany's family made available. Today we learn about the sad fate of this young woman. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another heart-pounding, nail-biting, board-breaking, wall-punching, baby-kicking edition of Killing Missing Hidden. This is your old buddy Brad, former scum-of-the-earth criminal defense attorney, here to discuss with you another bit of the world of true crime. With me, as always, is, uh, well, you. But we don't need anyone else as long as we have each other. Today's episode is a bit of a special one in that we're doing a ninja stealth giveaway. One of our primary sources is from Dr. Susanna Reed, who authored the book Anonymous Tip, available on Amazon, which covers this case as well as that of Tracy Crow and Beth Ann Miller, both missing persons cases from around the same time. And she has some theories that draw the three together. Dr. Reed was actually going to join us for an interview, and then I selfishly tried to die from COVID and ruined that opportunity. Regardless. She was kind and generous enough to send me a few copies of her book to share with you, my lovely listeners. So if you'd like a free read, just slide into my DMs on Instagram. That's what kids say, right? Slippery slide on into the, uh, the DMs. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like something I shouldn't be proud of saying. Um, so anyway, do that. First come, first serve. You get a free book. What could be better than that? So as you can tell, today's case is going to keep us in the Deep South. Why? Because it's freezing everyone else. Why would we want to leave? It's in the 70s here in Alabama. Let's, let's stay someplace warm and comfortable, okay? So Florida it is. <laughs> Tiffany Louise Sessions was a junior at the University of Florida in 1989. The same fine SEC institution responsible for educating such famous individuals as Jennifer Lopez, the meteorologist for the Weather Channel, and Bob Vila, the Home Repair Hall of Famer. This is my immature way of kind of taking a sideswipe at a football rival. Roll Tide. Tiffany was a finance major and was excelling at her studies. She was holding a 3.5 GPA. Her goal was to become an entrepreneur, and she was known to be very friendly, quick with a smile. She had been raised by her mother, who was in the Air Force, and hadn't really known her dad until her teenage years. Yet her dad, who was a very, let me stress, very successful marketing executive and real estate developer, did have a major impact on her career views and goals. Now, Tiffany called her mom nearly every single day, and her mom sweetly described Tiffany as her masterpiece in life. In contrast, I was my parents' shocking little surprise. Though her parents really didn't get along very well, she was raised with both of their love and their support and enjoyed many opportunities in life, such as horseback riding lessons, uh, competitions in the horseback riding world, ski trips, debutante balls, chartered flights, things that schlubs like us never get to enjoy. Now, the Christmas before, Tiffany had begun a new exercise routine, trying out this new fad called 
power walking. In fact, she had even developed a route that she liked for these power walks around town. It went by several apartment complexes where other Florida students lived and beside a nice wooded road. She took this route every day at around 5 o'clock. Now, power walking is no prancer-size, but any exercise is good, I suppose. And if you don't know what prancer-sizing is, pause this episode, go on YouTube, and look it up. I've even put a link in our show notes to help you out. It is part trot, part prance, all incredible. Honestly, check it out, please. But, all right, February 9th, 1989. Tiffany got dressed in her red sweatpants, white sweatshirt with gray stripes, her white and blue Reeboks, her black Walkman, and her Rolex. Yeah, she exercised in the Rolex. Life was different in the 80s, and life is different in the South. In all honesty, this, was a, this Rolex was a gift from her dad, and she just treasured it. She left her ID, her wallet, all that unnecessary stuff at her apartment because her roommate, who normally went power walking with her, wasn't feeling up for it and just, just going to stay home and rest. So Tiffany walks out the door at 445 Though the exact time is kind of disputed through sources, but this is roughly close to the most popular time that we see. But what is clearly known is she never returned. So Tiffany's roommate kind of became concerned when she hadn't returned by 7 o'clock. That was just way too late for one of her power walking sessions. It was getting dark, or it had gotten dark since it was February, and the roommate decided to drive the route that they would typically walk, just to see if she could find her. Uh, She covered the road a couple times, never saw her. When she got back to her apartment and saw Tiffany wasn't there, she immediately called Tiffany's parents and the local sheriff. Now, frustratingly, police refused to act immediately. Tiffany hadn't been gone long. There was no evidence she was missing, they said. And they said there's not even a crime scene that we can start from. There are reports, however, that there was one officer sent to look for Tiffany, as if merely done to appease the family. Tiffany's dad did not hesitate, however. This dude was a world-class level marketer, and he was going to use his superpowers, dang it. He managed to round up over 700 volunteer searchers with the snap of his fingers, including members from the University of Florida student body, recruits from the local Naval Training Center in Orlando, Marine reservists, and even members of the NFL's Miami Dolphins. He leveraged his connections to celebrities and had people such as future Florida Governor Jeb Bush, America's Most Wanted host John Walsh, and Miami Dolphins quarterback Dan Marino appear at press conferences and in television ads he made asking for information about Tiffany. He immediately set up a tip line that received over 600 phone calls a day on a good day. Missing persons posters were printed and plastered from Miami through southern Georgia. Tiffany's dad made it clear that there would be a nice reward for whoever helped find his daughter, $75,000. Because of all this, Tiffany's case became a national story, and Tiffany's dad even became a bit of a celebrity, at least in the world of missing cases. And he was invited to speak at seminars to teach people how to capture media attention for missing persons cases. In the two weeks it took Tiffany's dad to do this, 
All the police really managed to do was change their mind. They decided to treat this case as a kidnapping, not a missing persons case. And they started working on the tips that Mr. Sessions' hotline had captured. Uh, the most important of which was that several people claimed they had seen Tiffany on her walk and that she had stopped to talk to some un unidentified individuals. Some of these tips indicated Tiffany got in a car with these people, though police and others have been unable to either identify these individuals or whether it was true that Tiffany left with them. Now, Tiffany's dad had no faith in the Gainesville Police Department, so he hired famed private investigator Wayne Black to help coordinate his search efforts and also to serve as liaison with law enforcement. Now, when I say famed investigator, I think I mean that. The NFL hires Black to test their security at the Super Bowl and other events every year. He was called in as a consultant to the crash in Paris that killed Princess Diana. And here during the 80s, he was known as the guy for finding missing children. Now, meanwhile, Tiffany's mom was conducting her own search. Well, certainly not as grand as her ex-husband's because she did not have the resources he did. She worked just as hard but took a much more personal route. She would go talk to people nearby, talk to students. And it, even though it was more modest, it was just as thorough, just as passionate. And so we really have, during this time frame, three different searches going on. They're all working together, more or less. You've got the police, the dad, and the mom all out there leading their own folks, trying to figure out what on earth happened to Tiffany. Now, after not enjoying any initial success, Tiffany's dad made what I think was kind of a shrewd move. He increased the reward money for finding Tiffany to $250,000, but gave a limited window in which it could be collected. People only had 30 days to provide information. That would lead to Tiffany. However, despite the intelligence behind this, the move didn't work and no new information was discovered. Now, like I said, once the police got into it, they started doing what police do and talking to folks and following up on leads. And the first suspect they looked at was a boy named Rodrigo. Why did they end up talking to Rodrigo? Because Tiffany was secretly dating him. And Rodrigo ended up being arrested, but not for Tiffany's disappearance. See, Rodrigo was the bad boy in Tiffany's life. Um, let's see. It's not that he wore a leather jacket and slicked back his hair and maybe committed some petty thefts. He, he was apparently a player in a major drug trafficking operation that operated nationwide. Um, so no connection to Tiffany's disappearance is what the police determined. Just a really bad dude. And then we're quiet. We have silence for several years. There's no suspects. There's no leads. There's, there's nothing until 1994. And we're going to go visit a nearby jail to talk to a lovely chap by the name of Michael Knickerbocker. That sounds like a Family Guy character. Except he's in jail for the 1989 rape of another U of F student and for the 1989 shooting and killing of a 12-year-old girl. He is a super awesome guy, as you can tell. Knickerbocker was the sort that ran his mouth, and honestly, who would be shocked that a tool like this has some need for attention? 
But while he's in jail, he's claiming that he's responsible for Tiffany's death. Well, eventually, even though snitches get stitches, somebody decided that maybe they could use this information to kind of parlay into a better sentence. So they told the warden, who passed on the police. And the story goes that Knickerbocker supposedly kidnapped Tiffany while she was on her power walk, chained her to a tree, dot, 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 then murdered her and dumped her body in a nearby river. When this information was disclosed to Tiffany's father, he instantly went into marketing mode and stirred up all this sort of dust and dirt about Knickerbocker and got him all over the media because he was convinced he was the dude that committed this crime. And of course, police were very interested in the story. Just the timing is perfect, right? He's raping and killing in 1989. The same exact time that Tiffany goes missing, he's doing his raping and killing in Gainesville, Florida, the same exact spot Tiffany went missing. How could you not look at this dude? Now, once he found out he had been ratted out, Knickerbocker wasn't very cooperative and police couldn't get very far with him. However, he craves attention. So after a few years of the police ignoring him, in 2002, Knickerbocker spontaneously claims that Well, he buried Tiffany's clothing outside of Gainesville, and police went and searched and found bloody clothing there. Now, police have never shared any information on this find, but apparently the item was tested from DNA. We don't for DNA. We don't know the results. And rumor has it that the material found was not sweatshirt-like material. And of course, once the bloody clothing was actually found, Knickerbocker started saying, no, that was a joke. I didn't do it. Why why would you think me? I'm such a good guy. Regardless, Knickerbocker was not charged with Tiffany's death. But for what it's worth, you can take some peace in knowing that he's serving something like five life sentences for these other crimes he's committed. All right, we're going to circle back in time to make this as confusing as possible, to 1994 again. This is the same year that, you know, Knickerbocker got on the radar. We also receive a mysterious phone call on the tip line. And this caller claims to have seen Tiffany alive in Austin, Texas, as she was being held as a forced prostitute by a group of dangerous-looking men. Tiffany was one of three women identified by this caller. Guess who the other two were? Tracy Crow and Elizabeth Miller, the two girls that were talked about in Dr. Reed's book. The caller claimed that he was aware that the women were being forced to offer their services in Oklahoma next. So law enforcement in all the interested jurisdictions called up Oklahoma shared this information, and they coordinated to basically catch this caravan of uh, debauchery and forced servitude. But they could never find the vehicle described by the caller. Some of the jurisdictions wrote this off as a prank, but as I said in Dr. Reed's book, she really jumps into the connections between these three cases, and it's worth a read if you're interested in pulling on that thread. Okay. Now we jump forward in time, this time to 2014. And this is when we have what many consider to be the biggest break in this case. Police 
named Paul Rowles as a key suspect in Tiffany's disappearance. Now, this guy was nothing but a career criminal. There's just no nice way to say it. And this quote-unquote career started in the 70s when he raped his neighbor. He was released from jail in 1985 and moved to Gainesville in 1988. In 19, I'm sorry, in 1994, he was arrested again, this time for kidnapping a 15-year-old at knife point and forcing her to have sex with him. Though he threatened her with death, she managed to escape and get to safety. She outsmarted him. She just flat out outsmarted him. Um, he was arrested and convicted. This time he stayed in prison until he died, which was in 2013. Now, while he was in prison, police learned that his DNA matched DNA found at a 1992 murder scene of a young girl whose body was buried less than a mile from where Tiffany went missing. Now, Rawls was apparently such an intimidating and scary figure that his ex-wife, who was kind of responsible for discovering the rape of his neighbor back in the 70s, was so scared of him that when they were trying to build a case based on the more modern murders, she refused to sign an affidavit against him saying that she was terrified that he would get his revenge on her, even as he lay dying from cancer in a prison hospital. That's how scary and bad a dude this guy was. So obviously, Riles is a total piece of crap, but where does Tiffany fit into his story? Well, clearly, he was in the Gainesville area when Tiffany went missing, and he had killed at least one girl during his time in that area. But what really captured the police's imagination is what they found in his cell after he died. In one of his notebooks, he kept some notes on the murders he committed. While he never mentions Tiffany, Rawls had made a list of dates involving his murders. And the date of February 9, 1989 is listed there with the number 2 written next to it. If we assume that this notation relates to his kidnapping and murder of Tiffany, it would be the second murder he was known to commit, which would be an awfully big coincidence to have that big old number two written next to it. So let's add a little bit more fuel to this Rouse fire. In February 2020, investigators received a tip that Rouse was often seen in a specific tract of Timberland, and on at least one occasion, he was seen with a blonde girl who he was dragging by the arm from the car into the woods. Cadaver dogs were brought in to search the area. Police said they found nothing, but rumors have leaked out that this may not be true and that some sort of material was recovered and turned over to the state crime lab for testing. Further, there's also a little bit of evidence that Rouse would have seen Tiffany. He was working for a construction company in early 1989, and he was part of a crew that set up some scaffolding next to a building, and that building happened to be precisely on Tiffany's power walking path. There's also some that claim Rowles called in sick to work the day Tiffany went missing. So, police have concluded that Rowles was behind Tiffany's death. Tiffany's father has concluded that Rowles was behind Tiffany's death. And... Both consider the matter to be a closed case at this point. So fortunately, the, the family can have some closure. But it's 
sad that her body has yet to be recovered. Now there's an unsung hero in this tale that we need to recognize, and that is Sadie Darnell. She was a young, newish police officer when Tiffany went missing. She was never assigned to the investigation, but she would spend her free time searching with the volunteers. She would also do what she could to keep Tiffany's spirits up. I mean, even if it was just sending them a letter saying, you know, have faith, we're working hard, we're going to find her. She would do what she could to offer comfort to the family. Eventually, Darnell would run for and was elected sheriff. And one of her first acts was to create a cold case unit. And she directed them that solving Tiffany's case was their number one priority. Without her leadership and dedication, it's entirely possible that this case still remains unsolved. Now, I want to touch on one point here. I'm really curious about the report of the three girls being forced into prostitution. So if Tiffany wasn't one of the three, either that tip was a prank or it was a case of misidentification. But I'm going to use this opportunity to get on a soapbox because I'm a lawyer and this is what we do. In case you're not aware, there is a huge and ongoing problem in many, many countries, including the United States, with human trafficking. Go to any big event, the Super Bowl, the World Cup, the Grammys, whatever. Human trafficking will be actively ongoing there. If you know the right people to ask, you'll be taken to a nice hotel, you'll be introduced to a nice young woman, I stress young, who will perform any sexual service you need. The common victim is either someone from outside of the country who's been smuggled in and is working off her debt to the smugglers, a debt that will never be satisfied. Others are going to be runaways, drug addicts, or those who have been kidnapped. They are traditionally young, criminally young. So if you're at some sort of event... Even if it's a state high school basketball tournament, say. And you notice that there's some younger girls being kind of paraded around by some older dudes. You may want to call the police. These groups excel at thriving in the shadows. And one phone call may be all it takes to help set a group of women free from this horrible sexual slavery. Now, the FBI has a ton of information on their website about human trafficking and what you can do, what you can look out for. They even host uh, training events for civilians where you can help them be their eyes and ears to help them identify trafficking operations so they can come in and shut them down. Again, this is just a huge problem that we want to talk about things like drug crimes and murders and uh, even, you know, immigration violations or what have you. But seriously, it happens every day. It happens a lot. If you live off of, I'm in, again, I'm in Alabama. I know you hear that and you think back roads, country, redneck world, okay? Interstate 20 runs from Texas to Atlanta. That is, and it comes right through Birmingham, Alabama. That is a major drug and human trafficking corridor. We also have Highway 31 that runs from Mobile all the way to Chicago. That's another major trafficking corridor. So even if you live in a state that you think, well, nobody would be doing that here. We don't host major events. Keep your eyes open, okay? 
I just want to get that message out there. I know I'm just one man with one podcast, but please pay attention. All right, back back to the topic at hand. Another point I wanted to make is I think this case demonstrates that the most valuable resource you have when looking for someone who has gone missing is time. Look at all the resources Tiffany's family had available. I mean, Tiffany's dad was loaded. How many of us can call on the starting quarterback for any NFL team to come do commercials, to come to press conferences? It's insane how much money the Stu had. And, like, he not only was financing his search, he was helping the Florida law enforcement do the same. He was buying them fax machines because, like, the Gainesville Police Department didn't even have a fax machine. He was doing everything he could with his money to find Tiffany. But one evil person with just a minimal plan can thwart an entire community because of time. I mean, it sounds like Rawls got Tiffany, probably sexually abused her, killed her, and buried her all within a 12-hour period of time and then got the heck out of Dodge, right? So no amount of money in the world can buy that time. So this is, to me, it's important to note that because a rich kid can go missing just as easy as a poor kid. And we shouldn't expect better results for the rich kid than the poor kid. And we should look at how much time is available and how that time was used. And here... The Gainesville Police Department said she ain't missing. She ain't been gone long enough. We don't have a crime scene. We ain't doing nothing. You know, they were alerted at 7 p.m. on the day she went missing. They did nothing. So, it's sad. And I'll throw out one more thing because I'm just in a soapboxy mood. Be aware and be safe when you're out. One thing I've learned during my days in practice representing criminals is that so many people who were victims became victims because they put themselves in a position to be a victim. I'm not victim blaming. I'm saying that they made a bad choice to put themselves in a bad position. I don't have any reason to think that that happened to Tiffany here. Unless it's true that she talked to people, got in a car, left with them. That's not smart. You have to be smarter than that. If you're just aware of your situation and you think about your decisions before you make them, you can dodge a lot of problems. Again, I'm not saying anyone is asking for it. Don't read what I'm saying that way. No one deserves to be victimized. What I'm saying is, if you walk down a dark alley to take a shortcut at 3 o'clock in the morning, you're more likely to be a victim of a crime than if you stay on a well-lit sidewalk, right? Those are the types of decisions I'm talking about. So I just want everybody to be safe and keep an eye out on your surroundings. Okay, enough of me. Y'all are tired of me. Let's move on to the palate cleanser. Here's what we've got this week. A bear walks into a restaurant and places his order. I want a chicken sandwich, chips, and a Coke. The man at the register looks at the bear and asks, what's with the big paws? And the bear shrugs and says, I don't know. I was just born with them. 
Yay. I like that joke. It's dumb and it's cute. All right, boys and girls, that's it for this week. Please keep tuning in, sharing our show with your friends, and don't forget about the book giveaway. All you have to do is DM us on Instagram. We'll send you a copy. I think we've got about five to give away, so don't wait too long. We'll go quick. Um, other than that, everybody be good, be safe, love each other, watch out for each other, and I will see you next week. This is Brad, heading out. Thank you for listening to Kellen Missing Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.